0: Welcome to News Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest is a, a local—can I say girl, local woman? Absolutely. Nini. I'm glad Everyone, we called a girl. You grew up in Chapel Hill, and you're now the um, author of your first—your debut novel. And people are having a hard time with that because you're well-known in the writing community as a teacher and as a writer. How's it? What's it like to be the author of your first debut novel? <laughs>
1: It is glorious, DG. It is absolutely fantastic. I'm having the best time. And by the way, thank you so much for having me here. It's just a oh, delight. No, it's
0: a treat to have you and thank you for uh, coming. Well, um, later on, let's talk a little bit about writing. But first, let's talk about your book. What are you? What's your sales pitch for your book or your introductory pitch for the well, Kudzu Queen?
1: Well, so <laughs> Maddie Lee Watson is a 15-year-old girl. She wants to be a beauty queen when she grows up. Actually, she wants to be a beauty queen right now. She's 15. 15 Yeah, and she wants to be the kudzu queen. And there were, in fact, kudzu queen pageants in the 1940s in the South, um, and farmers were paid to promote kudzu. So she wants to be the kudzu queen, and she wants a kudzu king who's twice her age to fall madly in love with her despite the fact that she has no social graces whatsoever until she discovers his dark side. Who
0: is the kudzu king? The kudzu king?
1: The kudzu king is Mr. <clears throat> James T. Culloway. He comes into town with a gorgeous, brand-new, shiny Chevy pickup truck. Um, I'm a Chevy girl, not a Ford girl. And uh, he comes in with a truck bed full of kudzu cuttings, promoting kudzu and telling farmers that the government is going to pay them to plant it. Which How much? Which is actually true. $5 an acre.
0: And what is the is – the, part of this is – Based on history.
1: It is, in fact, yes. So around that era— This is uh, yeah.
0: nineteen about 19, a little before 1940, I guess. It's
1: 1941, so just before we entered the war, um, spring and summer of 1941. And the government saw kudzu as being the savior plant. So it was a plant that we could plant to prevent erosion— Um, And think about the time, we're right around the Dust Bowl era, just past the Dust Bowl era. and People were looking for erosion preventatives. And also, we're just past um, the Great Depression. And here's a plant that literally grew a foot in 24 hours. So what better thing to feed your animals and your family? And there was all this stuff you could do with it. I mean, you could cook it. You could make things out of it. You could make baskets. You could make clothes out of it. It was a headache cure. It was a heart attack cure. It was an alcoholism cure.
0: How did, um, or, or why did they need somebody like um, Mr. Kellawee to come around and promote Because It looks like, as you describe it, that the benefits are so wonderful that nobody would need to do anything other than put it in the ground and get out of the way.
1: I think by that time, farmers were pretty risk averse. So here was this brand new crop. They were used to planting what they knew would, would pay. And so that was a pretty big risk. So There were – I discovered actually that there were men that traveled the south promoting kudzu like Mr. Culloway, and that's why I invented him. But there was one um, person who was famous for it, Mr. Channing Cope. So he had a radio show like you do except he did it off his front porch, which sounds pretty comfortable Now, was he in North Carolina or – He was an Atlanta man Mm -hmm. um, and he also wrote a column for the Atlanta Constitution as it was called then. And he had what he called the Kudzu Club of America – with over a thousand members, so.
0: So you brought him into your novel too. I
1: did. I did. Yeah, at the tail end, and a little bit in the middle.
0: Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about the Kudzu King, Mister mm-hmm. Calloway. Mm-hmm. T- tell us some more about him.
1: He's charming, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, very handsome, movie star handsome. Maddie is um, famous for falling in love with movie stars, and here's this movie star that's come to her town. Um, he's good at charming men, women, and children. But he's a little too charming for some of the farmers in town. They're a little suspicious of them, of him, including Maddie's father. But Maddie and her older brother, Danny, fall for him immediately. Talk
0: a little bit more about Maddie's family, okay. about her father and mother and, and her siblings, so, so, or her brothers, I guess.
1: Yeah, so Maddie has um, a mom and a dad, um, and they are— they're the kind of people that are able to cross town and country lines. So um, they fit in well with everybody. So their fa- her father's not from around there. Her father's from Delaware. But he's very well accepted and respected, even though he does some radical things, like he has an a experimental cotton field. Um, so, And then she's got a brother, Danny, who's older, who's um, about to go off to ag school at State, NC State, and a younger brother, Joey, who's... Always been kind of a pain until she goes into business with him. Kudzu business.
0: All right. Well, um, th- th- this is taking place in a small town in North Carolina. Yep. And where, I mean, it's a—it's r- rural. It's
1: rural. It's down east. Um, but I had to make up a fictional county because I could just imagine people down east reading this and saying, well, the feed store was never over there or why would you make us look stupid? So I had to make up 101st North Carolina County, Cooper County.
0: So tell us about Cooper County. And what what, uh, fascinates me, and you handled this uh, very nicely, but in these uh, rural counties where there's a town, Mm -hmm. lots of times the town is sort of above it all, Mm -hmm. even though it's a small town and uh, they don't think of it, we're the main town. Mm -hmm. Where does um, Maddie, your 15-year-old narrator and – Heroin,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, where does she, does she live in town or does she live on the farm?
1: She lives on a farm um, and she's in sort of a special position because I'm not sure I say it really outright in the book, but I think it's pretty clear that her family owns a lot of the land in the county and there are tenant farmers, um, but he, but her father treats the tenant farmers differently from most people. Um, he's much more collaborative with them. So... She comes from some money, but she's definitely a country girl, and the town girls, most of them kind of treat her like a country girl.
0: And so uh, is uh, Maddie – are you Maddie or is Maddie you? I mean is – are you – what <laughs> – and were you – when you were a 15-year-old, did you sort things out the way
1: Maddie does? Oh, no, no. Maddie's much um,
0: you sassier. You lived in Chapel Hill.
1: I lived in Chapel Hill, so I grew up a little hippie girl. Um, but Maddie is much sassier and more confident than I was at that age. But I will say there is one thing that Maddie and I have in common, which is that I have this idea that 14- or 15-year-old girls are kind of testing out their sexuality. They're sort of trying it on for size, and they're seeing, can I attract this boy? Can I attract that man? Will I make this one look Mm -hmm. at me? And so that was part of the reason I wanted to write this book, Um, I don't think of this as a Me Too book. I think of this as being much more deep and complex than that because Maddie does find herself attracting someone that is probably more trouble than she bargained for. Um, But she's torn. I mean, on some level she um, is horrified and on some level it makes her special.
0: So she's 15 years old and um, in in your book you have her – uh, on her first date. Yep. And that's a big, that yep. happens to be a, a big deal for her, for mm-hmm. her mother, mm-hmm. maybe for the boy she's going with. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I think it may be a bigger deal for the boy she's going out with. I mean, for Maddie, this is kind of a training wheel date. It's like this is a date, but he's young compared to the Kudzu King. He's, he's just a boy. He's not a man. But at the same time, she finds herself liking him a lot more than she thought she would. She's kind of trying on dating for size when she goes on this date. But but the way that she treats um, Carl, the guy that she's dating, she realizes because she was raised right that this was not the way that you're supposed to treat somebody.
0: The, well, what, put, your, um, put yourself in the role of um, Maddie's mother. You mm-hmm. know? And how does she react when Maddie asks her if she can go out on a date or she can go to the <laughs> movies with her?
1: She reacts pretty well. I mean, when I think you asked about Maddie's parents, and when I think about Maddie's parents, I think, you know, if you were to take Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird and divide him in, into a mother and a father, you'd have Maddie's parents. So these
0: are these are wise and kind right. and kind, kind,
1: people. And really sensible. Sensible and kind of funny. So she, she takes it in stride.
0: Um, how does the date go?
1: Well, um, not so well. Um, it's a little... Well, it's a lot awkward because, you know, Maddie is very upset that Carl doesn't see in the Kudzu King what she sees in the Kudzu King. Well, she doesn't want him to see see the Kudzu King romantically. But so that upsets her. And then they run into the Kudzu King as well as the mayor and the mayor's wife. And Maddie is taking Kudzu Queen lessons from the mayor's
0: wife. Let's take a break and then talk about uh, the mayor and the mayor's (laughs) wife. But first, (laughs) I, I, I loved Maddie's mother, when she was sorting out whether or not to approve of this date, Mm -hmm. she said, well, I don't think it's a very good movie, but you all probably won't be watching the movie anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I said, now you slip this in on me. She's just 15. If you joined us late, I'm visiting with Mimi Herman, and we're talking about her debut novel, The Kudzu Queen. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. If you joined us late, I'm visiting with a young woman from Chapel Hill. I don't want to say Chapel Hill girl, but I'm afraid <laughs> I get in bad trouble. Mimi Herman. Mimi is a um, has a fantastic background in writing and in writing teaching, and I hope that we'll have a chance to talk to that in a little while. But right now we're talking about her debut novel. Yep. Aren't you kind of old?
1: I <laughs> am kind of old. It's <laughs> not be... the first novel I ever wrote. It's the third novel I wrote. Uh-huh. Um, but I kind of uh, got distracted by teaching. I mean, I've been writing all along, but I always spend more energy teaching and writing than I do getting the books out in the world. So I finally decided, it's time. This novel's got to get out in the world. I'm going to push it. Well, that's great.
0: Well, when when we um, took our break, we we're talking about, um, of course, the narrator, Maddie, mm-hmm. who's a 15-year-old um, girl growing up. And uh, they through her, she, she introduces us to a lot of people, but the people that she's most um, positively attached to now are her neighbors. She's got a—is it Lynette?
1: Lynette, yep.
0: Tell us about Lynette, and tell us about the friendship between the two girls.
1: Well, Lynette is her best friend and lives right next door. Um, her family, they're tenant farmers on Maddie's parents' land. Um, and Lynette— Lynette is highly responsible. She has taken over the responsibilities for her two younger sisters because her mother's really ill and her father is a mean drunk, a really mean drunk. So she is serious and sober with a little bit of romantic to her, but she's very pragmatic. And Maddie, Maddie, I think, sees herself as a leader of Lynette at the beginning of the book. But as the book progresses, she begins to see Lynette's strength.
0: Well— um, before we took a break, you, you, you mentioned the mayor. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to Lynette and her oh, yeah. and her family in a minute. But tell us about uh, the mayor and tell us uh, about the mayor's wife <laughs> and what she has to do with uh, the kudzu king.
1: Absolutely. This is
0: Mr. Cullowee who's moved into town and trying to promote the planting of the kudzu plants.
1: Absolutely. So... The mayor's a little on the pompous side, but a very sweet man. Um, And his wife is a lot on the pompous side. She's from Charleston, where they know how things are done, right? They know that you have to lift your pinky when you're sipping your tea. So uh, the mayor's wife takes on the responsibility for training the girls to enter the Kudzu Queen beauty pageant. All right.
0: Well, we'll have to get off track. And tell us about the um, the Kudzu pageant. Oh, yeah.
1: So when Mr. Cullowie first comes into town, it's like a commercial for kudzu and what he's going to do for the community. So he is going to bring kudzu to the town, He's going to get the farmers to plant it, they're going to have a parade, and they're going to have a kudzu queen beauty pageant. So, I mean, if you think about beauty pageants, there's beauty pageants for everything, you know, sweet potatoes, lumber, whatever. So why not a kudzu beauty pageant? So there were, in fact, kudzu queen beauty pageants, as I mentioned, and unfortunately, Not only Maddie, but none of these girls have a lot in the way of social graces, so they have to take lessons. So every Wednesday, they go over to the mayor's house, and the mayor's wife teaches them something that they'll need to become young ladies and to succeed in the pageant.
0: These are a bunch of small-town and farm girls, Mm -hmm. and they're being treated to the kind of uh, operation that you would find in Charleston or Charlotte or Mm -hmm. Raleigh, Mm -hmm. uh, where the uh, teenage Young women are forced to uh, do things that they wouldn't do naturally. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come natural.
0: They have, and they have to learn how to have conversations, mm-hmm. they have to learn how to dress, mm-hmm. have, how to walk. Mm-hmm. And ha- where did all of this come from?
1: Well, I figure if you are not the beauty queen pageant type like I am not, then you have to make it up. And if you're going to make it up, give it to people who've never done it themselves so they have to make it up too. Mm-hmm. So um, I did a little bit of inventing and thinking about what I thought it would be like. I did a lot of research on beauty queens. Um, I know someone who's a consultant to the North Carolina, uh, Miss North Carolina pageant. Um, But mostly I just kind of thought about what would you need to know? And it's all right. I've seen a few beauty pageants on television.
0: Would you use the um, beauty pageant training Mm -hmm. sessions to accomplish other things Mm -hmm. uh, to tell us about the? Uh, well, mainly about Maddie, but also Maddie's uh, friends and her acquaintances that she's not friends with. Mm-hmm. So you, it's not just a beauty; just not preparing for a beauty yeah. pageant. You're 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 bringing your story along. And how how did you come up with that way of telling your story?
1: That's a good question, and I'm not sure. I mean, when I'm writing, I'm just kind of I feel like I'm following my characters around and writing what whatever they do. But um, you get to know. Glynis, who is what we now call a mean girl, um, and who's really got meanness down to a fine art, I think. Um, and Mabel, who is, is pretty, and she's grown to just the right height to be able to lay her head on a football player's shoulder. And you get to know Rose, who works for Mrs. Sampson, the mayor's wife, who is Maddie's mm-hmm. oldest friend that she hasn't seen in years. Now, there's
0: a dividing wall there. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. us about Rose, her family, and their connection to Maddie's family and to Maddie.
1: So Rose is African-American and they used to play together before they both went to school in different schools, segregated schools, Um, and they are also tenant farmers, and Rose's daddy is really good friends with Maddie's daddy, but Maddie really hasn't socialized with Rose all this. All How do you bring
0: damage. Rose back into the story?
1: She is working for Mrs. Sampson and—, and Mrs. Sampson. Mrs. I'm Sampson is— I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Mrs. Sampson is the mayor's wife, okay? So she's working for the Sampson's, and Maddie sees her, and all of a sudden, they're, it's as if no time has passed in some ways, except that— Rose Rose is very confident, and Rose will tell Maddie stuff that nobody else will tell her. She's very confident and very straightforward. I think she's one of the strongest, most interesting characters to me in the book. Well, she
0: is, forgive me for this, think, yeah. uh, this, this is not fair, but I mean, she's kind of the token black person in the in the story, isn't she? I mean, it,
1: well, I hope she's not token because that's never what I intended her to be.
0: She's a strong token, i
1: Okay, so she's there and her father Luther and her grandmother um, and um, the, there's another person who also works in the kitchen. So there's, there's a few other black people in there but because it's from Maddie's point of view and she lives a pretty segregated life, she doesn't see as many black people in her life um, as she used to when she was younger.
0: Well, I um, Growing up in Chapel Hill, Mm -hmm. we have, it wasn't the same kind of uh, segregation as you have in your book, but we have uh, separation even after uh, the integration of the schools was was separate. And did that inform your writing of the...
1: It did. So I was actually living in Raleigh. We moved to Chapel Hill just before I started sixth grade. And I was living in Raleigh when um, they started busing, when they started integrating the schools. And... My best friend was a girl named Sydney, um, and she was black. And we were both thought of as really weird because we were friends. But we used to hang out together and do stuff together. And so, yeah, that very much informed my life. That was in Raleigh life. or in Chapel Hill? That was in Raleigh, uh-huh. yeah. Um, there's some unpleasant incidences that happened, not with Sydney, but later when I, I did a friend France trip with um, with my French teacher and a French teacher from the high school. And my roommate and best friend there was also black. And we had some ugly notes slid under our door in France, but from the other curls we were traveling with. Uh, uh, yeah. So
0: that, in, that, that gave you a basis on which to write about a relationship between a white girl and a black girl during the time of segregation. I Is hope
1: okay. so. Yeah. I mean... These are interesting times in terms of literature because people are very careful about not writing about people that they're not, you know, people that are not their race or gender or whatever. But That's what fiction writers do. Wow. So we have to be able to do our best to imagine what it's like to be somebody we're not.
0: Well, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, if you join us late, I'm visiting with uh, Maddie Herman.
1: Uh, about uh, her. Mimi Herman.
0: Mimi Omini. <laughs> no. Maddie, well, they're the same people. <laughs> you call me. <laughs> well, now, guys, uh, you heard me make a big mistake, but Maddie is the uh, lead character in Mimi Herman's uh, debut novel, The Kutsu Queen, and she and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is DT Martin. I'm visiting with Mimi Herman. Mimi lives in Chapel Hill, but she's uh, lived other places as well. We're celebrating this year um, her debut novel, and we're going to keep on talking about it, although later on I want to talk about uh, your role as a writing inspirer and writing teacher Thanks. and uh, other things. Um, when when we um, took our break, we were in the middle of talking about kind of a finishing school, a Queen's prepara- mm-hmm. preparation Getting getting the, the girls or the young women prepared to be um, like debutantes in yeah. the, at the but this is for the um, kudzu is it the kudzu queen pageant beauty um, pageant the kudzu queen pageant you had some funny things in there <laughs> <laughs> tell us about tell us about what the mayor's wife did to train these. Uh, small town and country girls about how to act like they lived in Charleston?
1: Well, one of my favorite things is that she teaches them how to walk. And Maddie's a little stunned by this because she thought she already knew how to walk. And so she takes stanchions and she ropes off both ends of the street so the girls can walk outside. And that draws quite a crowd because, you know, this is pretty entertaining. And the girls have to walk. They have to perambulate. Um, and when they have learned well enough... That's a new word for me. Yeah. It's a fancy word for walk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. When they have learned, uh, learned how to perambulate appropriately, um, they're invited inside to practice perambulating with a gentleman. And there are two gentlemen who are on call for perambulation. Um, one is the mayor himself, uh, Mrs. Sampson's husband. And the other is the Katsu King himself. And uh, Maddie's expecting to get the mayor and ends up with the Kudzu King and ends up dancing instead of perambulating, which sends her into a tizzy.
0: Well, t- let's take a, take a little break or a l- make yeah. a change and let's tell us more about the Kudzu King. This is Mister Calloway. Mm-hmm. He's a, a newcomer to town. I tell you what, it reminded me of is what was the uh, forty tram trombones. The and music man. The music man. was yep. kind of like the music yeah. man coming yeah. to town. And uh, first of all, um, you know, amazing everybody. And he uh-huh. was wonderful. And then he turned out to be a jerk. Yep. Was he the model for your. Uh,
1: Not intentionally, column? but I'll tell you what, when I was um, around 15, I worked at a, um, a, a theater, an outdoor theater in Richmond. summers where my dad lived. And we had the Music Man one summer, and I was hanging out with my friend Constance, and we were sort of roaming around outside the audience area, and we ran into a flasher. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, raincoat guy, you know, and <laughs> um, old-fashioned flasher. You're walking
0: around in town. And, or, we were in the
1: theater. I mean, we were in a oh, the the theater. theater. Yeah, and he was just kind of out there with his raincoat, opening it up, you know, sharing all he had. Um, and I had not thought of that for— since I was that age, really. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't make as big an impression as it might have made. But I think somewhere that stuck, that combination, uh-huh. because the Kudzu king, without giving away too much of the story, the Kudzu king turns out to be a little dicey in that area. Um, he t- turns out to be someone that you probably wouldn't want to trust with your daughters.
0: He's uh, charming
1: He's to totally everybody. Charming.
0: Mm-hmm. But like a lot of—well, like some charming people— He's imperfect, and mm-hmm. and, and uh, you're surprised when out of uh, th- these richly gifted and popular people come these kind of crazy, awful
1: mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, I, I try to sort of layer in a little bit without giving away too much about his background. He grew up um, a military brat. His father was overbearing and angry a lot of the time. His mother doted on him. It seems like kind of... A tricky way to grow up for a young man, and so he didn't. He turned out charming, but not reliable. Well, what did you
0: did you like him?
1: I think I did at first, but the more I got to know him, the the less I did. I mean i I write books for the same reason I read them to find out what's going to happen next. <laughs> so I didn't know everything about him when I first started writing him.
0: Well, uh, it's it's a good place for me to take a break from talking about the story as mm-hmm. you wrote it and talk about the story as you found it, Mm -hmm. how you came to um, want to write a book about kudzu and write a book about a kind guy who comes in to sell the people. Um, How did kudzu come into your life?
1: Well, I grew up with it, first of all. I mean, every time we drove down the highway, there were these tunnels of kudzu practically. So I I knew about it. But this book came about because – for some reason, I was in the downtown Durham library, and I was on Microfiche. I have no idea why I was on Microfiche, and I came across this article about these men that travel the South promoting uh-huh. kudzu, having kudzu festivals, and kudzu queen beauty pageants. And I thought, that is really strange. That is really, really strange. I have to figure out why. And so, when I want to figure something out, I write fiction about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can you can make it the way you want. Exactly,
1: to. <laughs> exactly. So I. Well, can I you tell us the
0: story of how the book? Uh, came about sure. from, from so the uh, initial idea to uh, actual real book?
1: I can. So um, I was recently going through some boxes and came across the first handwritten legal pads, yellow legal pads, where I started writing this book. And I started writing it in 1994 at Weymouth. Um, I don't know if everybody yeah, knows Southern where Pines. that is. Yeah. Down in Southern Pines, which is a great place for writers to go write. And a whole lot of what's there from the first two days of my writing that book Ended up it in the actual book. It did. I'm amazed. Um, and so I worked on it a lot for a while, and then I think I must have run into an impasse a couple years in. So I started working on some other stuff. I was also teaching, which we'll talk about later. Um, but I was doing a lot of teaching. I've taught over twenty five thousand people in my life. So um, I, I ended up writing more poetry, which I also write, and p- publishing a couple poetry books and. Um, writing a nonfiction book for the State Arts Council on arts organizations and doing all sorts of other projects, but that that story just kept kind of, I don't know. So would you, would me on you the shoulder.
0: when it came back, would you just try to stop and find yeah. to, to write a couple of pages? Yeah, and, or and
1: I would usually write for a few weeks. What I like to do is to give myself a goal, like I'm going to write ten pages a day for a week, or I'm going to write ten pages a day for three weeks, and so I would work on it for a while. And then I might work on something else. Um, But I worked on it a lot and had – I had a close to complete draft in about 2013. And in 2015 or 2016, I had a 685-page draft, which is probably a little long for a book. Even my mother wouldn't have read it.
0: Well, what did you do? Um, um, Cutting is harder than writing. Oh, not for me.
1: I love it. I call it playing pickup sticks. You know, can I pull out – this sentence, this phrase, this character, this subplot, this chapter, and still have the book itself stay. It's a little bit, I mean, not that I'm comparing myself to Michelangelo, but it's a little bit like carving out.
0: Well, yes, here's how I get you to talk about this, because um, the ending Mm -hmm. is, I was kind of surprised uh, by the ending. Mm -hmm. And Did did you write the ending first and then write towards the ending, or did you have to use the ending as a place to wrap up All the loose ends.
1: I, yeah, I just kept writing till I got to the ending. I don't write the first early parts. I don't write in order. But then I start putting them together Mm -hmm. and then I write from there. And so the ending came after most of the rest of the book. Let's
0: take a break. I'm I'm sorry to jump around. Tell us about the ending, what you will. And you can can tell it in a way that doesn't give away the, (laughs) the whole book. Okay. But you, you, we... We talked about these young women training for the mm-hmm. festival. Well, the festival takes place. Mm-hmm. They have the festival. Mm-hmm. And these girls have to walk, have to do their walking, and they do their training. And then you have them um, show their talent by answering, by, by having a conversation.
1: Yeah, so they answer questions. They also have to show a talent. So it might be tap dancing. It might be singing. Um, Maddie's got a special talent, which I'm not going to tell you. Oh, but.
0: that's what I wanted you all to tell me. Right, all
1: right. Well, Maddie, Maddie has a um, bent toward argument. She wants to be a lawyer when she grows up. And so she actually kind of sets up a court of law to try the Kudzu King. Ah. And she ends up um, even being surprised herself.
0: About Well, uh, the, the you're talking about moving from um, Maddie being – as much as a fifteen-year-old girl can be with a, an adult man, mm-hmm. she's, she's, um, you know, she's in love with him the way mm-hmm. in that in that way, and mm-hmm. she turns on him. She does. What is it? Can you tell us what it, or can you tease us about what it is that <laughs> that makes her change her mind about this guy that she thought was so wonderful?
1: I think some of it's his behavior toward her um, in private, which is not the way a 30-year-old man should be with a 15-year-old girl. Um, And some of it is the way that he has treated Rose, um, who has been... This is her black friend. Her black black friend, friend who has um, won the Black Kudzu Queen pageant. So there is a pageant that Maddie doesn't know about at the beginning that she finds out about from Rose. And so the prize is not what Rose would have expected. And so some of it's that, and some of it's she learned something about what the Kudzu king has promised and that he hasn't been entirely on the up and up in what he's promised to farmers. And so you
0: use the culmination of the pageant. I won't force you to tell more
1: <laughs> as a way we to We want people it. to read the book. Yeah, of <laughs> course.
0: Well, you want people to talk about the
1: book. Yes.
0: If, if you did join us late, we're talking about um, Mimi Herman's debut novel, uh, The Kudzu Queen. And we're going to take a break and we're going to come back, and I'm going to try to get um, our neighbor— Mimi Herman to talk a little bit about her experience teaching those of us who don't write to write. <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. I'm visiting with Mimi Herman, and we got together to talk about her debut novel, The Kudzu Queen, but it turns out uh, debut is a misleading term because this is not the first thing she's ever written, and Throughout the writing community, at least uh, around here, she's known as a great writing teacher and encourager.
1: And how do you make money doing that? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Well, several ways. One is that um, I've been a writer in the schools forever. So schools invite me in for a week to teach kids and teachers how to write. So
0: there's money available somewhere in some school districts to pay somebody to come in. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So some of it comes from arts council. Some of it comes from the PTA. Some of it comes from the school. So I've been doing that for many, many years. I'm a Kennedy Center teaching artist. So I go all over the country to teach teachers how to incorporate not just writing, but all of the arts across the curriculum to make Learning more engaging. Give us students. an
0: illustration of some of um, okay, so, some teacher you inspired, or that you. Oh my
1: gosh! Well, I was going to tell you about one of the the residencies or workshops that I do, which is that I have people be immigrants coming to America in nineteen oh one, and each of them becomes a character and writes from the point of view of that character and acts from the point of view of that character, and so they learn to understand immigration from then, but also now, more viscerally, rather than reading in a book about it. So things like that. Um, so I do that, and I also, with my partner John Yule, uh, run right of writing workshops at a chateau you in take, France. You and John
0: take people yeah. overseas. Yes. Yeah. Now, why do you do that?
1: Because we believe that if you get people out of the environment where, you know, the dishes need doing and the house needs cleaning and the dog needs feeding and all that stuff, that they can write better. If you take people to beautiful places and you spoil them rotten and their only job is to write, they're going to write. And I believe that everybody's a writer. No no, 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 no. I you... do. I absolutely do. Well, uh, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got their own language. I mean, even identical twins don't speak the same language. One takes dance. One takes horseback riding. One speaks the language of dance. One speaks the language of horses. And that – if I can sit down with people and draw them out, or be in front of a class of thirty or a workshop of sixty, I can get people listening to themselves. And if you can listen to yourself, give and put me an that illustration
0: of how you might, uh, if you had fifteen people here, yeah, talking to them and saying, "Okay, we're gonna this week we're gonna write, but here's what we're gonna do first.
1: Okay, so a couple things. One is I might have them write a thousand-word sentence where they just. Have A run-on, a run-on sentence, sentence. Exactly. is good. And then, and then go back and find the parts that strike them. Where did they find a phrase or a word that, that surprised them? So that's one way. Another way might be to ask people to brainstorm for their memories and give them three minutes to write as many things as they can remember. Just a little list of yeah. things. and then have them pick the one that strikes them the most and brainstorm for everything they can see, hear, smell, touch, and taste about that memory. And then write from there. And that is going to come alive on the page. Always, always. It never. Fails. Every time. Every time. <laughs> and do, do you
0: then take up the paper and talk to the person about it, or yeah. do you just say, "Look at, look it over," and
1: both. So, sometimes I have them share it with somebody else. Sometimes we have people read things out loud. Um, I, when I'm with a group of people, I try to wander around and crouch by people as they're writing. And sort of talk with them about what they're writing, ask them questions to help them delve more deeply. Sometimes I have what I call the consultation station, where I sit on the floor and they talk with me in a circle. So it's all it's all about drawing out what people have to say but haven't been heard haven't been listened to before.
0: Do, can do, can you translate that so that um, I can't write, my buddy can't write, but you can tell us what to do to make us write? Can we? become teachers even though we don't even know how to do it?
1: Sure. Well, I don't know if you would go straight to being teachers, but I can draw out of you what it takes to be a writer. And people are going to write at different levels and they're going to care about it more or less. But a lot of what I do as a teacher is undoing the damage that's been done when people were young. You know, people think, well, I can't spell so I can't write or, you know, I don't have anything to say. And so if I just listen to people... They start talking, and if I get them talking fast enough, then I can get them writing. Give us,
0: without giving us names or, with, or maybe giving us names, talk to us about some of, of the successes that you're most proud of.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, and why? Wow, that's a good question. I love going into a room full of teachers who are just exhausted and burnt out. Being a teacher is the hardest thing I know right now. Um, And having them feel heard and then having them – then walking them through the process that we did so that they can do that in the classroom with their kids. Um, Having them go back – You're asking for specific people, and I would say that would probably be in the category of our write-aways people, these writing workshops in France and Italy Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Ireland and New Mexico. So some people come, and they're already writers, but some people come, and they're like, I always wanted to write, but I don't even know how to get started.
0: One of the things that um, I've noticed and worried about is that a lot of people want to be writers. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily want to write. Right, exactly. But but they want – And then there are people who, if you can persuade them to write, they don't have to show it to anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's just the pure pleasure of their writing for themselves. Yeah. And how how do you deal with uh, those different approaches to learning to write? How do you deal with somebody who says, I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to get my novel published. And they don't think they're successful until they get their novel published. Well, heck, it can just be a de- derailment.
1: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it's sort of backing down to the beginning and let's get something on the page that's going to feel like it's exactly what you want to say in exactly the way you want to say it first. And let's worry about publishing later. That's way, way ahead. Right now, let's make the writing sing.
0: Well, what uh, other than the kudzu queen, mm-hmm. what are you proudest of? Of your writing successes, if, if anything, other than, than um, Katsu Queen's a pretty good, pretty good lick.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I The first novel that I wrote that hasn't been published yet, but that I'm going back to play with, is a, a novel called Sophie and Sally. And it's about an older Jewish couple in Brooklyn um, who own one of those musty, dusty clothing oh. stores. Um, and their kids want them to retire to Florida. And uh, oh, great,
0: but how do you know about this, or
1: do you? Well, know? I grew up Jewish, and these are my grandparents and great. Your grandparents and were, yeah. You're
0: connected through. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's who spoke Yiddish, so. No. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's funny that girl who grew up you girl who grew up Jewish, wrote about Baptists, yeah, in the Kudzu well, Queen. Uh, well,
0: uh, that could be the. Um, subject for another visit <laughs> i guess but i am interested uh-huh. that that you're writing a novel that's set in Brooklyn yeah in in the jewish community yeah
1: there. yeah i like to find a place and a time and once i've got that it it feels like it comes alive to me so you know some of my family's from new york some of my family's from baltimore dc winston and i just thought about how they were and how bossy they were and charming and obnoxious. And it's not my family per se, but it's that feel to it.
0: Well, well, uh, sometime I'd like for you to come back and talk about that. Oh, I'd love it. In the meantime, thanks for introducing us to the Kutsu Queen, the Kutsu King, and a whole part of um, rural and small-town life in North Carolina that we don't really know about anymore.
1: Well, thank you so much, D.G. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been a you. real treat
0: for me, and it's been a treat for me to be with you who are listening. If you did join us late, um, my guest is Mimi Herman. She's a Chapel Hill I don't, a woman, and <laughs> and she's the author of a na- debut novel that came out just this year, The Kutsu Queen. Thanks to you thank and you. Uh, to uh, Mimi for being our guest, and thanks to you for listening. And This is D.G. Martin. I'll be back here before you know it.